How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensen. Tim, how's it going, sir? Going good, going good. Ain't doing all that much, but uh, I guess that's a sign of a good weekend. Yeah, man. Well, you know, at least nobody called you out calling you a Bush League. Maybe soon, maybe soon. That's true. There's still a couple of weeks left till the end of the season. Yeah, no kidding. So, Tim, let's get right into the episode. This is Season 2, Episode 24, in chronological order. Episode 52, the David Van Drunen episode. I don't even know where to go. I don't even know where to go with this. Like, I'm not even going to be lying to you. I have no idea who this guy is. I looked him up. Uh, He played hockey, and that's about it. Yeah, I also looked him up. So, basically, from what I understand, he played four seasons with the WHL's Prince Albert Raiders before embarking on a career-long minor league career, minus one game with the Ottawa Senators in the 1999-2000 season. Absolutely magical. I know. He went on to play 11 more seasons in the minor leagues before retiring in 2011. Oh, crazy. Yeah. But next week's poll is going to be a real barn burner because for Season 2, Episode 25 in chronological order, Episode 53... We've got two players on the board. We've got Ilya Zuboff and Jack Roadwade. Huh. Those guys played more than one game. You know what's funny? I totally forgot about Ilya Zuboff until I looked that up for the poll. I was like, man, I remember him. Yeah, he was like in on the minor leagues and all, like NHL 07. Yeah, and you saw his name. He's like, maybe he'll do something. And I know. he never did. It's like Josh Hennessy. Or Jesse Winchester. Jeff Glass. We go on. Exactly. So, Tim, I got to ask the all-important question, sir. How has your week been? I didn't do a heck of a lot, to be honest. Uh, Work's been kind of weird, so I've just been taking the opportunity to get my ducks organized in a row. Okay. Now, when you're talking about uh, things are weird at work, like, what do you mean exactly? It's just super slow. Okay. So is it, well, I guess you guys don't really have a slow time of the year, do you? No, it's just oddly slow. So I'm taking it as much in stride as I can. Okay. So I'll talk a little bit about my week because I'm currently in the second week of spring break. I will be back to work on Tuesday. But for this week, I actually did something that I don't usually do because I don't have the longest of attention spans to sit down and actually watch something i got to watch a few movies this past week whoa what did you watch well the other night i was at my cousin's place we're just hanging out and we got to watch a couple of movies on netflix one of them being the ballad of buster struggs which is a six-part anthology movie like it's, it's, it's a movie with short stories and it's fucking weird because i went into this thinking okay yeah it's a movie about the guy whose name is Buster Struggs. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm not really into westerns, but it's funny, and I turned out from the Coen brothers. I like the Coen brothers. I like the Big Lebowski and Fargo. And I was watching it, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, this guy's pretty funny. Spoiler alert, ten minutes in, they kill him. Whoa! And I'm like, what the fuck, man? Like, you killing off your main guy ten minutes into the movie? What the hell? And my cousin's like, yeah, I said the same thing when I first saw it, but apparently it's like a six-part movie, and I was like, what? Jesus Christ. Which kind of sucks, because like the first story about Buster Struggs was actually one of the best things about that movie, because it, he was just so, not, not over the top, but he was just so cheery, but he was kind of a low-key badass at the same time. Okay. Yeah, the other stories were good. They had uh, James Franco was in one. That one was okay. The one uh, Liam Neeson was in, very slow, really depressing, not not my favorite. And, you know, there really wasn't a whole lot of the stories that I sat there and going, this is a really good story. 
Except for the Buster Struggles one. That was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then afterwards, we... Or I should say, I finally got the opportunity to sit down to watch Solo, the Star Wars movie about Han Solo. And, you know, and I understand that some people online didn't like Solo. They're thinking, oh, it strays too far away from canon and all this bullshit. But you know what? I don't know much about this canon of Star Wars other than the movies because I didn't read any of the books. I mean, I, I played some of the video games, but I did never read the books, so I don't know how far the canon goes for these characters. But... Taking it on its as its own movie, I found it really enjoyable, and I actually found it. And I know I'm going to get some hate for this. I actually found it more enjoyable than Rogue One. I haven't seen any of them because I honestly haven't given a shit about Star Wars since The Force Awakens, so I couldn't tell you. Yeah, The Force Awakens, which I didn't mind when I first saw it. I was like, oh, you know, finally a good Star Wars movie. That's cool. But I find I I had the less and less and less urgency to rewatch it as time goes on. I mean, Rogue One, I saw that in the theater. I walked out going, it was very dark, very depressing. I mean, the action scenes were cool, but you know what? It was just, it wasn't fun. That was the only thing I didn't like about Rogue One. Solo, there was a lot of fun to it. And I really can't remember the guy who played Han Solo. He did a great job, because I know he was young Captain Kirk in the Star Trek reboot movies from 10 years ago. Oh, okay. And the guy who plays Lando Kelly... Holy shit, those are already 10 years old. Yeah, the yeah, like Star Trek and... Uh, what was the one that came out? It was like 2012 or something that came out. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah. But anyway, the guy who played Lando Calrissian, he was spot on with that character. And I do got to give a shout out to Donald Glover, also known as Childish Gambino. He was great in that movie. Nice. Yeah, so that was pretty good. And last night, I finally got to watch... A movie that a lot of people have been really anticipating in. The Motley Crue biopic, The Dirt. And this is a movie that, and I know, like Solo, a lot of people saw a movie like Bohemian Rhapsody. And they tore it apart because of how inaccurate the movie really is on the story of Queen. And I know that they took a lot of liberties, apparently, with that story. Now, I never saw it, so I have no frame of reference for what a lot of people are talking about. But The Dirt, I have to say, this is a movie that the guys in Motley Crue were so adamant, they have to make this movie perfect, you cannot make the sanitized, and the first, like, five minutes of the movie, I saw something that I never, ever thought I'd ever see in a motion picture. Was it the guy's penis? It wasn't. It was actually kind of funny and kind of disgusting at the same time. There was a scene where they're in their apartment, and Tommy Lee's going down on this chick, and she ends up squirting across the room. Oh, gross. I sat there, I was like, I mean, I was laughing. I was like, oh, it's fucking hilarious. I've never seen that. And then I realized, that's really disgusting. It really is. Yeah. But you know what? Now, granted, again, I never read the the memoir of the dirt. Apparently, from what I understand, the book was way better than the movie was. And I'm not, won't even argue that because, you know, you can't get everything from the book in the movie. Because I know they mm-hmm. cut a few things. The one, I have to say, overall, I found it, really enjoyable it was very accurate to what actually happened with the band the only thing i didn't like was probably the third act because that's when they really start taking liberties with the movie because again spoiler alert vince neal's daughter dies in the movie now that actually did happen she died of cancer in 1994 95 it was in the mid 90s and it was around that time like vince wasn't in the band and then they kicked out the other lead singer who was singing for them. Well, they didn't show that part. They just showed about Nikki apologizing to Tommy, and then they decide they have to go get Vince back. And, you know, and then it cuts to Mick Mars is getting them out of the hospital because he got a new hip, which actually did happen, but it happened like 10 years after the fact. It happened like in 2003, 2004. So that was probably the only thing that I've been watching going... That's not accurate at all. That didn't happen in like the late nineties when they all back got back that together. Makes sense. Yeah, but overall, other than those little nitpicks, really enjoyable movie. The guys who played the band spot on. Like the guy who played Nikki Six was spot on. The guy who played Vince Neil was spot on. Mick Mars was spot on. The only one who I thought he was very spot on, but you can tell he was kind of acting, was the guy who played Tommy Lee, which is hip hop artist Machine Gun Kelly. 
Huh. Like, he was good. He got the mannerisms down. Like, all the band got... Like, all the guys who played the members got that shit down. And I was saying to my buddy, like, I don't know if the guy who played Vince Neil actually sang the parts at the beginning of the movie. If he did, he fucking nailed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. so overall... I've been meaning to watch, like, the Motley Crue and the Queen one. Because the Queen one, like, the way it's shot, because I've seen a, a lot of people watch it on the plane. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. And the way it's shot, it looks very interesting. Yeah, I so, think like, for Bohemian Rhapsody, I mean, I think if you go in with kind of an idea of what goes on, because they do take a lot of liberties with the movie, I think if you knew the story of Queen from like beginning to end, you would probably find a lot of problems with Bohemian Rhapsody. But The Dirt was not like that, because again, the band where the producers like uh, the surviving members of Queen were for Bohemian Rhapsody... And I know that Nikki Six even said in an interview, he said, we had to get this perfect because if we don't, it's going to be like if VH1 did it. Now, VH1 did a lot of, like, the biopics on, like, Def Leppard and Meatloaf, and I've seen them. They're fucking terrible. And that's why I really like The Dirt, because they got it right. I was always surprised that VH1's biopics were so terrible. Mm -hmm. You think if you're supposed to be doing, like, if your meat and potatoes of your network is showing shit about bands. Yeah. You'd think you'd be good at band, doing stuff about bands, but <laughs> Yeah, well, I know that originally MTV was going to be doing The Dirt, but I don't know all the behind the story, like the behind the scenes, what was going on with that, but that ended up not happening. But they did get the guy who directed Jackass to direct the movie, and I thought he did a really good job. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So overall, I do recommend the ballad, of, the ballad of Buster Struggs. As long as you know what you're getting yourself into, it is not going to be a movie about Buster Struggs. That's only like the first ten minutes of the movie. If you could look past that, I think it was enjoyable. Solo, I found it really enjoyable. I like I said, I found it more enjoyable than I found Rogue One, and The Dirt. I highly recommend it. The Dirt is on Netflix right now, so please go check it out. If you're interested in Motley Crue. And it's funny, I was like watching that last night, and I'm sitting there and I'm watching it thinking, you know, I can almost count on two hands the amount of times I've seen them live. Because I've seen them on like the Carnival of Sins tour or their reunion tour in 2010 and 2013. And I think 2013 was the time that I got to fist bump Nikki Six. Nice. Yeah. Those must have been awesome tickets too, eh? It was really good, yeah. We were like six, seven rows up from where he was, and I just went, I walked down, I took a snap of him, and he saw me, so he leaned down and gave me a fist bump. Nice. Yeah. I'll have to find, I have a really cool photo from that show. I'll have to find it and send it your way to show you. But, but yeah, other than that, I do recommend those movies as long as you know what you're getting yourself into. Should be a good time. Awesome. Yeah. Let's go into last week's episode, because... You know, it was a good episode. I really do like the fact that you tore the Leafs a new asshole. It was fantastic to hear. Yeah, no, it was something. It's like, this is a team that should be better, but wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I know that once we get to the top of the air, we do have a story about that. And I can't wait to talk about it because, you know, it has a good buddy of yours, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, no, I got... I got really into that, didn't I? You did. And I remember just sitting here and you were just going off and I'm thinking, you know what? Like, Tim's making a lot of great points here and, you know, he's really fired up. And I mean, oh, excuse me. And I know that my advice I gave to Brady to Chuck on scoring some goals clearly helped once we got to these games we got to talk about this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to get into some meat and potatoes then? Well, we should do that. But first, Tim... Let's segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. So we're going to start off with a shout-out. Big shout to Vegas Golden Knights goalie Marc-Andre Fleury and his wife, who welcomed a baby boy, James, into the world on March 22nd. James Fleury was 9 pounds, 3 ounces. Whoa, this is like the opposite of what we usually do. True. We open with a death most of the time. This is awesome. It's Congratulations true. to the Flurries. Absolutely. Now, out of respect for the Flurries, because this is a great moment, I'm not going to play the DJ horn. 
Mostly because I don't have it queued up right now, and I actually kind of, I wish I kind of thought about it, but, you know, whatever, maybe next time. Maybe next. Yeah. No, no, it's better this way. Yeah. We also got to give another shout-out to Vancouver Canucks rookie Elias Patterson, who broke the Canucks record for most points by a rookie with 61. The previous record of 60 was held by the late Ivan Halenka, Trevor Linden, and Pat Elbury. That's really good company, honestly. Mm-hmm, because the last time a Canucks rookie hit 60 points was Pat Elbury in the 91-92 season. Yeah. And it's kind of insane to think just how long of a successful run they had with guys like starting with like Lyndon and Burry all the way up to the end of the Sedin era. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is like a lot of the stars that they had, like the Ottawa Senators, they scouted, drafted, and developed them. Now, there was a few of them that obviously they came through trades like Ed Jovanovski or Sammy Sallow, but, you know, you look through the, or even Marcus Naslin, uh, who am I talking about? Fuck. You could just look at the whole West Coast Express line right there, but. Honestly, I think things are starting to look up for Vancouver, and, like, like he'll probably never catch the record because Timu Solani's rookie season was fucking absurd. Yeah, I know, 76 goals, and he was tied 100. with Alexander McGillney. Yeah, what the fuck is that? I don't know, it's crazy. What's not. What is kind of crazy, though is that we do kind of have a death story, but we also have probably the biggest story that we may or may not be talking about here in the Third Life Plug Sensecast. And it, again, involves the Humboldt Broncos, the truck driver who caused the Humboldt Broncos pus crash that killed 16 and injured 13 others, was sentenced to eight years in prison. Jezarak Singh Sidhu pled guilty to 29 counts of dangerous driving. An immigrant lawyer told the Canadian press prior to the sentencing that he believes Sidhu is likely to be deported to India right after he serves his sentence. Yeah, that's kind of what happens when you kill a bunch of people, even by accident. And if you're not a permanent resident of the country, getting any sort of extensive jail time usually lend, almost always ends in you getting deported. Mm-hmm. Well, especially when you blow right through a stop sign and you end up hitting a bus. Full of kids. Yep. It's a shame. You know what? But you know what? I think maybe the parents now can have a little bit of closure knowing that what had happened, that the guy is going to get some justice for it. Yeah. No kidding. Mm -hmm. Edmonton Oilers CEO Bob Nicholson spoke to season ticket holders at a season ticket holder breakfast where he openly criticized Oilers forward Tobias Redder, stating he hasn't scored a goal, he's missed so many breakaways, and... If he would have scored 10 to 12 goals, they'd probably be in the playoffs. This is fucked. This is some, like, Eugene Melnick shit right here, but it's not Eugene Melnick. This is no, weird. but it... This is also, I think, why Edmonton is just floundered for so long. Like, two playoff appearances in 16 years, level of mediocrity, because... The entire system from Nicholson down is fucking broken. Mm-hmm. Actually, Tim, they made it in the playoffs three times the last 16 years. Oh, three times. My apologies. No worries. Big, big difference. But, like, you've got a guy blaming one fourth-wing forward for their team missing the playoffs. Not the complete lack of direction, the incredible lack of depth. And complete inability to see anything coming in the management group, really? You fired both your coach and your GM this season, and it's a fourth liner. That's 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 awful. What the fuck? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, and like you said, right, you can look at the amount of problems the Oilers have had this season, whether on the ice or off the ice, and yet they're blaming a fourth liner for this. Not no. Milan Lucic, who... You know, looks like he's he's skating with cement in his skates. Not the fact yeah, that really your offense is Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And those two guys are having 100-point seasons each, and your team can't still can't claw its way out of the basement? No. And honestly, I feel bad for Edmonton fans, because it's just that subtle suck that's never going to go away. 
Yeah, because I mean, at least for us, we had a couple of really good years with the superstars that we had. Mm. And we have had a lot of playoff hockey. That is true. And deep playoff runs, too. Yeah. Or even just getting to the playoffs once every other year for the last 10, except for this year. And last that's, year. And last year, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Like, it's well, okay, it's not impressive, but it's better than Edmonton. That is true, Tim. That is true. Let's go on to our next story. Washington Capitals forward Brent Connolly confirmed Tuesday that he is sticking to his vow made last summer that he would skip the team's White House visit if they were invited in support of teammate Devontae Smith-Pelly. Now, I also know that Braden Holpe has also came out and also confirmed he will not go as well. Huh. Wait, why is Devontae Smith-Pelly not going? Does he just not like Trump, or...? Well, he doesn't like Trump. Well, also, he's... Well, he's black, too. And that, I'm not saying it's a race thing, but, you know, you look at all the sexist and racist comments he's made, and this obviously has offended Devontae Smith-Pelly. Even though he's, well, I mean, he's in the minors right now, but still, I mean, it's great to see that teammates of his are saying, no, we're not going, because in support of him, it's like what the Golden State Warriors did the last couple of years when they won the NBA championship, that they just decided, no, we're not going to the White House, we don't support your politics, and we're not going to go see you. I don't know. I feel like it's not exactly all that brave nowadays. Because remember what happened when Tim Thomas didn't want to go see Obama because he disagreed with uh, Obamacare? True, and I mean... And he got... Yeah, it's a different thing because obviously a lot of the mainstream media does or is more a Democratic vote, right? Whether somebody like Fox News is more Republican. So if it was a Republican president at the time and Tim Thomas says, no, I'm not going then I don't think it would have got that much traction, but because of how extremely polarizing Donald Trump is as a president and the mm-hmm. administration he's got and everything, I can kind of see why. And you know what? If they're saying, no, you know what? We don't support your politics. And you know what? As a team, we're not coming. Oh, yeah. I have no problem with that, but don't pretend it's anything spe- like anything great. They're no, just exercising beach rights. Yeah, exactly. Class. And I don't think that's what these guys are doing. They're just doing it in support of their teammate. Well, I feel like there's a lot of folks out that, there who are kind of construing it as such. That's true. I mean, you could spin it in any way to make it look negative towards mm-hmm. the Capitals, right? Yeah. For sure. Like, just don't make it to be more than it is. True. Tim, let's start. Let's talk about some a good news story. The NHL and NHLPA announced that National Predators forward Austin Watson has been returned to available status and has entered the follow-up care phase of the substance abuse and behavioral health program. Watson, who was arrested in June 2018 for a misdemeanor charge of domestic assault, was suspended indefinitely on January 29th after a relapse. Yeah, let's hope he can stay on the wagon. For sure, man, because, you know, he's still young. He's still, like, 26, 27 years old. He still has got his whole life ahead of him. And, you know, you obviously hear stories about Ray Emery and Robin Leonard and some of the, you know, substance abuse problems they have off the ice. And it's all about the support system behind them that really can help you stay sober. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I hope his girl... Like, I hope his... Uh romantic partners doing well as well because like that sort of experience can be i imagine is just downright harrowing mm-hmm. especially because austin watson is in the high profile position he is as an nhler right because now that brings a lot of negativity to not only her personal but also it could be her professional life too right because how could mm. this affect her in the workplace or on social media or whatever right other thing is just being the victim of domestic assault is really shit. Yeah, it's also really bad if you're a, a victim of social abuse shit, too. Yeah, no kidding. Thanks, Monica. Let's go on to our next story. Toronto Maple Leafs head coach Mike Babcock responded to the rumors of a feud between him and GM Kyle Dubas. Babcock, who has questioned organizational organizational depth in the past stated his relationship with Dubas will be better in four years than it is now, just as his relationships with Brian Murray, Ken Holland, and Lou Lamorello developed more in time. This is a weird statement. 
It is. Now, the funny thing is that I did get a chance to read uh, his release. The one thing I could really appreciate is that he does name-check Brian Murray at the very beginning. And he... I can't remember what he said. Something about... Basically, it was basically what Brian was safe for the players and the owner. He was the buffer in between. He's just, you need somebody like that in between you guys. Mm-hmm. No, that's awesome. Although, I, I guess my big thing is, like, whenever you get those rumors that there's, oh, there's a rift or there's a problem in the room, it's only when things are going bad and the Leafs have been in a bit of a tailspin, so I'm not putting a ton of stock into this. True, but you know what? I mean, you could look at other... Not just in hockey, but other sports where there could be a rift between an owner or a coach or a GM or a coach or a coach and a player. But as long as they're winning and they're doing well, a lot of those stories don't come out. Like you could look at even the Ottawa Senators of a few years ago, right? I mean, obviously, somebody like Mike Hoffman may have been, you know, not the greatest guy in the room. But when the team was doing well, you never heard stories about it. Mm-hmm. So that's why I don't really put a lot of stock into it because it seems like that sort of thing that it only comes out when bad things are happening. And even within a season, like, it comes out. So it's like, eh, it just seems like muckraking. True, but you know what? I always live by the motto of where there's smoke, there's fire. I don't know. I used to think that way, but... But the thing is, is that even, like you're saying, right, Only stories like this only come out when they're doing terrible. That doesn't mean that these stories don't happen when they're winning. It's just that we don't hear about it. Well, what I'm thinking is, it's a bad climate, so even if you make shit up, people will believe it. And the way that TSN just rolls on clicks, there's definitely incentive there, right? True. And just... With the social media cycle going as fast as as it is, you can make shit up and people won't call you on it because it's already been once by the time it comes out that it's complete, like made out of full full cloth fabric, everyone's moved on to the next thing, right? True, but you also got to worry about not so much the bot accounts, but the fake accounts that they'll say, oh, confirmed, so-and-so is being traded here. And then somebody like a Bob McKenzie or Bruce Garriott decides to look into it and it finds out it's not true. Mm-hmm. But by the time that it's happened, like, the rumor's already been spread, right? Mm-hmm. And it takes combating a thought that's already out there takes a lot more effort than either spreading the old idea that's not true or putting out new true ideas. Like, combating falsehoods is really hard. I agree. Let's go on to our next story, Tim. Former Chicago Blackhawks head coach Joel Quenville gave a rare interview this week commenting on his time as Blackhawks head coach and his firing. Quenville stated that he was not surprised upon learning he was let go. It has been difficult for him while also stating one of the most one of his significant regrets was not having the opportunity to properly thank the fan base for all their support. Yeah, and it's interesting because I feel like you could pro- a lot it wasn't too hard to see the Quenville firing cut. No, because, you know, you saw that the performance on the ice wasn't cutting it. But you know what? I feel that personally, and it's funny because we were talking about uh, Babs and Smugfuck Dubis there, is that the relationship between Joel Quenville and Stan Bowman was not very good by the end of his tenure there. And I kind of no. feel that Joel Quenville, as great of a head coach as he is, I feel he kind of got a raw deal in it, given that... Stan Bowman was the one that made all the deals that turned the Blackhawks from a dynasty into what they are now. Well, the big thing that happened, and you could tell, this is one of the times where the deterioration, you could see it with your eyes. When you look at a lot of the trades that happened, it was Quenville's favorites going out the door. That's the time where rumors backed up by action. Yeah. There was no denying that relationship was screwed. Because... Boom, like Stan Bowman was acting pretty aggressively, honestly. And you could argue even sometimes with malice. True. But, I mean, you could also look at other hockey teams where, you know, the coach's favorite players get traded out of town and now the relationship between the, the head coach and the GM becomes fried. Mm-hmm. Do you think that happened between uh, 
Guy Boucher and uh, Pierre Dorian after uh, Tom Pyatt left? Was was that when the writing was truly on the wall? Yes. Yes, it was. Let's go on to our next story. NHL and NBC commentator Jeremy Roenick appeared on Michael Landberg's radio show on TSN 1050 where he slammed the perceived attitude of the players, saying the Maple Leafs' attitude was both awful and atrocious. Rodick and Landsberg stated they don't see how they can get past the Bruins in the first round with that defense, with Roenick saying they won't. Don't you hate it when someone you don't like makes a point that's close to one thing you believe, but in like the shittiest way possible? Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't have anything Jeremy. against Jeremy Roenick. Ah, he's just such an asshole. And, like, not in the funny asshole way, just, like, massive doucher asshole way. No, I think that's more Mike Milbury than anybody else. Or Glenn Healy. Well, they both. They, all three of them can be assholes. They can, but I think, I take Ronick as more being funny than anything else. I don't think of him as being overly mean-spirited. I mean, he his, some of his comments does, you could perceive that as being mean-spirited, but I don't take it as that. I think he's just a character who's has a really good sense of humor about him. I don't think Milbury does. I think Milbury is very mean-spirited, and same with Glenn Healy, and that's why I hate both of them today. Mm, fair enough. I don't know. I just find Jeremy Roenick is pretty mean-spirited a lot of the time. But, like, if that's just edgy humor, like, crossing a line, I kind of get that. But, no, that defense is going to get run over by the Bruins. Yep. Because the Bruins run four lines pretty well. Yeah, and they've got balanced scoring. They're, all their scoring isn't on the first two lines. Yeah, and their aged veterans like ba- like uh, David Backus actually do stuff, while Marlowe not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel bad for Dubas inheriting that shitty Marlowe contract. Well, I do and I don't, because wasn't he the one who signed him? No, that was one of that was one of or the was that last that Lamorello did. Oh, okay. I kind of forget that you know Dubas hasn't been there the whole time because it's like he's only been here this year. I know it's weird. Like I just assume that oh yeah, that's well I guess because he has been working for the Leafs, and you know the par- little part of my brain compartment you know doesn't comprehend that Lou Lamorello was GM at one point. It's because it's a weird fucking statement. True. Because, like, it's funny because I remember, uh, I forget who we're, we're talking about. I was reading an article that was comparing the Ballard era Leafs to the current iteration of the Senators. And I was, they were talking about, like, trades from, like, the late 80s, early 90s. And it said Devil's GM Lou Lamorello. I'm like, yeah, he has been doing that a while. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because we mentioned that when Scott Niedemeyer's number got retired, I brought that stat up that he traded for him. Yeah, yeah. Do you also know that he fleeced the Calgary Flames to get Martin Brodeur? Yep. True story. Let's go on to our next story. Now, this is actually kind of a sad and very upsetting story. Montreal newspaper Le Journal de Montreal reported that a volunteer official was violently assaulted during a hockey tournament. 45-year-old Nicholas Sear was videotaped arguing with a pair of officials when he sucker-punched the official after the official had decided the argument between the two was not worth his attention. Was this like some minor league tournament or? No, it was uh, not a minor league tournament. It was just a fun. It was almost like a beer league tournament. It was for adults. Okay, but either way, this is what pisses me off about like just fun sports in general. You have like those guys who just take shit way too seriously. Yeah, and I remember actually, it's funny that we were talking about the Leafs because I was I heard a uh, something about Jeff O'Neill who works for the overdrive for TSN with Jamie McLennan, and they're talking about him and Jamie are talking about how they never ever join beer league beer leagues because you know you always get those guys who take it so seriously they think they're playing in the NHL and they decide to take runs at you. Yeah, no. Like that's not fun. No, and I understand that you know that testosterone is running high, you know, you're you know, you're playing a sport, you're in it with the boys and you know, occasionally you'll get the guy who's a little unhinged that gets flares get tempered and a punch gets thrown, but it's not right. And, you know, I do agree with you is that, especially in a fun beer league-like tournament, they shouldn't be doing that stuff. No. 
No. And actually, it's funny. I was watching this guy on YouTube. Uh, what the hell's his name? Nasher, I think his name is. He plays in a beer league tournament. And this guy on the other team... I can't remember who it was. Somebody speared this one guy, and the guy just two-handed him across the face. And he caught that on his GoPro camera. Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's a little Why fucking... Why are you... Like, spearing is dangerous as shit, too. So it's like, what the fuck are both these guys doing? Like, man, athletes in general just need to calm the fuck down. It's true. It's true, man. They need to simmer the fuck down, boys. Yeah. Yeah, give your fucking balls a tug, you tip fucker. <laughs> Ooh, what's this next one? So this next story, and you know what? I wouldn't be really, I wouldn't be that surprised if more parents actually do this, to be honest with you, because I think hot, this website has come out and talked about it. Hockey website, Elite Prospects, reported on Twitter that, the, that a father of a young hockey player attempted to get Elite Prospects to manipulate his son's stats. Elite Prospects stated the father bought a domain, created a fake website, entered his son's fake stats, and contacted them claiming their official stats were off. You know what's weird? Like, I, I understand parents want to try and go and get their kids noticed, but it's amazing. This is one of the first times I've ever actually heard this happening. And I think Elite Prospects has come out and said that, hey, it's not the first time this has actually happened to us. Oh, no, I can imagine parents wanting to get their kids ahead of the game all the time, but this is fuck like, this is next level. The guy went, bought a domain, and copied everyone else's stats over except for his kids where he made them better. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. That takes, that costs money and takes effort. True. Because, like, I just imagine the lazy one where it's just, like, some parents just, like, hey, you change his stats. This required effort. Yeah, it's fucked. I mean, and like I said, I'm surprised that we don't hear more stories like this, given that, like you're saying, right, parents who spend all this money and all this time to get their kids into hockey and they want to get them noticed. So I'm not surprised a story like this has come out. I'm just surprised that we don't hear more about it. Yeah, or there's just isn't as much insanity. Or maybe it's just people just don't talk about it. Kind of like that admission scandal. Maybe. Colorado Avalanche captain Gabriel Landeskog received a letter from a young fan praising him as a player and an anti-bullying ambassador. The letter stated that the young fan sells books for $1 and gives the money to charities that support mental awareness, suicide prevention, and anti-bullying. So far, the money has gone to the Edmonton Oilers and Eric Carlson. It's really cool. Honestly, it's awesome whenever kids do whatever they can to kind of get involved in their community, involved with causes. Mm -hmm. And I know that even for us, I mean, we're not kids anymore, but, you know, with the very, very few fans that we have. Hi, Adam. You know, at least we can try and help out the Sens Foundation and I believe the Vegas Golden Knights Foundation as well, Tim. Yeah. No, this is going to be awesome. For sure. Nashville Predators teamed up with the Make-A-Wish Foundation to make a wish come true for three-year-old Asher Collier. Collier was signed to what the Predators are calling a two-day priceless contract. Aww. It's really great that, you know, hockey teams will do this for kids, right? And obviously, the first thing that obviously comes to mind for us being Senator fans is the late Jonathan Petrie, because that's what the Senators did for him. Yep. Yeah, and there's... Honestly, no reason not to. You like, you give the kid an experience they'll never forget. Although, mm-hmm. and you get free PR. Like, there's no reason not to do it, right? For sure, and in good PR too. I mean, that's really great. I know, like the Make a Wish Foundation, when these kids ask for wishes, the ones that I usually hear about, and maybe because I pay more attention, is WWE wrestlers. Like, I think John Cena currently holds the record for the most Make a Wish wishes that actually came true, that he was fully behind and actually did. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, Tim, it's time to talk about our good buddy and Mitch Marner's good buddy. Boston Bruins forward Brad Marchand took to Twitter to verbally attack NBC Sports Network columnist Joe Haggerty after Haggerty published a story suggesting the Bruins has been better in the absence of defenseman Tory Krug. Marchand quote tweeted his article with a caption, What kind of garbage is this, Hags? You don't even watch the games. You just stand at the snack bar the whole time. 
damn, he got him good. He did. I guess. But, no, good on Marshawn to come out and protect his butt. For sure, and even protecting it, going at him for a teammate, right? Because I do like Tori Krug as a defenseman. I really think he's a really good player for the Bruins. But I don't know how much malice is really in his statement saying that the excuse me, the, the absence of Tory Krug has been better. Like you said, the Bruins have four Lions that are running every night, which has really kept them rolling throughout this season. Well, I think the other thing is I just don't think that statement's true. I think the Bruins are better with Tory Krug. Mm-hmm. Because, you know what, when you have a guy like Tory Krug who's a very good puck-moving defenseman, you only get better with guys like that. Mm-hmm. Unless, you know... You're like Cody Cece trying to move the puck or Ben Harper. That's that's just embarrassing. Pretty much. But the thing is, is the Bruins get better shots, more better shots, more shots, and higher quality shots with Krug on the ice with a, than they do without Krug on the ice. Like that's just it. Mm-hmm. Let's go into so the next story. Sorry, Tim. Go ahead. I think that second part of Marshawn's comment. You're just here eating. You're just at the snack bars pretty true well i mean i don't know what kind of snacks the bruins sell at the snack bar i'm sure they probably sell some very good snacks there mm-hmm. well maybe, try maybe clam chowder you never know yeah yeah tampa bay lightning forward yanni gouda has been suspended two games for his hit to the head on hurricanes forward jordan stall this is gouda's first suspension i think they got it right because it was a pretty dirty hit from what i saw I didn't see the hit, so I'll have to take your word for it. Mm-hmm. Let's go on to our next story. Detroit Red Wings have re-signed Jimmy Howard to a one-year, $4 million contract. Howard has recorded a 19-20-5 record with a .908 save percentage for Detroit this season. I don't mind this one, honestly. But Jimmy Howard's starting to get up there. I know he's uh, 35 already, 36, around there. I mean, it's better than signing uh, Craig Anderson. Hey, that's not fair, man. Craig Anderson was actually somewhat decent when we signed him to that contract. No, what I mean, why did they? Why three years? No, that was too a long. better question is why do they give Mike Condon the three-year contract? You know, Tay, there are many mysteries in this world, some that even Bruce Garriott can't answer. That is true, Tim. That is true. Toronto Maple Leafs have re-signed Nick Batan to a two-year, $1.55 million contract with an AAV, $775,000. Batan recorded one goal in five games for the Leafs this season. Yeah, this is probably to shore up uh, the Little Leagues a bit. Yeah. Because I'm not sure Batan is going anywhere, honestly. No, he seems more like a depth piece than anything else in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Tim, it's time to start talking about some Ottawa Senators-related stories. And we're going to talk about an ex-Ottawa Senator right now. Boston Bruins have re-signed Sedano Chara to a one-year, $2 million contract. Chara recorded four goals, seven assists for 11 points in 55 games for Boston this season. What I don't understand is, like, one, how the hell is Chara still going? Two, how is he still good? Actually, you know, uh, I know you don't really use Instagram, but there's a guy I follow on Instagram who covers the Sens, and one of his Insta stories was this picture TSN put up on their on their Facebook page. I think for his, like his forty second birthday, and it has like Marshawn or not Marshawn Chara holding the cup as a Bruin, uh, two of them as an Islander, and then like another one as a Bruin. And so he posted the caption. He goes, "Huh." I think he used to play for a third team, if I'm not mistaken. There was not one shot of him as a senator. Lame. Yeah. I mean, they could have had them, you know, when he was dwarf-tossing Brian McCabe around. That was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, you know what? Now it's starting to make a lot of sense why they didn't do that. Yeah. Hmm. Although, I guess the one thing is Chara is he's starting to slow down a bit. True. Like but you know what? I mean, if he's only going to be around for one more year... Then, hey, you know what? Go out and on top, buddy. And $2 million contract is super team-friendly. Oh, for sure. Ottawa Senators forward Jean-Gabriel Peugeot has been suspended one game for his hit from behind on Canucks defenseman Ashton Sutner. 
This is Pajot's first suspension. Honestly, I'm a little surprised he didn't get more for that hit because that was a kind of dirty. It wasn't like Sutner was right up against the glass. He was at least a foot or so away, and he just hit him from behind. Oh yeah, he fucking drove. It was such a. It was a really dumb play. Mm-hmm. But you could tell that Pajot was pissed because they missed a pretty gross hit on Pajot. Like not to the degree of what Pajot dished out back. Yeah. Yeah. And you could tell Pajot was pissed. Oh, for sure. And you no, know what? I don't blame that, him, right? Because, you know, there was a dirty hit on him, and he hit him back, except he's the one who got a call. Yeah. Well, Tim, it's time to wrap up Top of the Hour with a news story that I'm sure everybody and their mothers have wanted us to talk about. Ottawa Senators owner Eugene Melnick is... Oh, son of a bitch. Yeah, I really hate that. Like, every time we talk about him, the song automatically plays. Well, the reason why is because I'm using two laptops right now, and I was able to sync that up on YouTube. Ottawa Senators owner Eugene Melnick did an interview with Sportsnet's Fan 590 where he questioned whether the fans who are critical of the Senators are real Senators fans. He also went on to criticize TSN's Ian Mendez and Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson calling Mendez Bush League and said that Watson is lucky he keeps his mouth shut. That's a lot of shit. You know what? And I just want to go on record right now. In tribute to what a class act Ian Mendez is, this episode will will be called In Mendez We Trust. In Mendez We Trust. But holy crow. Does this guy just have zero self awareness? Well, I mean, yes. Yes he does, but the city really wanted a you to be part of one of the biggest redevelopment projects in the city's history kind of even the federal government was on board and you torpedo that the fans hate you and this is what you come up with really just lay low because mm-hmm, i know in in we mentioned this right off the top is that even james duffy went on about it because you know he says you know is kind of in a way is like is this guy really this clueless that he doesn't understand how pissed the fans really are about everything that's going on? Well, I mean, I guess this is his way of trying to push back against what he might seem as think is unfair, but, dude. Well, the thing is, what? and actually, somebody on Twitter brought up a great point, is that, you know, he's doing all these things, and he's not doing it on Ottawa radio, he's doing it on Toronto radio. Yeah, like, it's because, I guess the Toronto radio doesn't, have enough context to really tear him the asshole. So, like, maybe he's afraid. Maybe he just doesn't care. Maybe he thinks that the Toronto radio has better listenership. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I do got to give James Duffy a lot of respect for standing up from Ian Mendez. And he said right after all his comments, he talked about Ian Mendez. He says, you know what? This guy goes after somebody who is so well-respected and well-liked with the fan base and the community and he's done nothing but been a class act this whole time is really, really disrespectful. A hundred percent. And then Ian Mendez goes and takes the high road. Even the mayor's just like, what the hell is this? I know. But you know what? Even Jim Watson said, when asked about it, he says, you know what? I don't take my orders from Eugene Melnick. Pretty much. Well, like, what else can you even say? Pretty much. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the hour, which means it's time to head on to the games. Now, we got three games to talk about. We got the Sens versus the Canucks, Sens versus the Flames, and the Sens versus the Oilers. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Canucks. This is a 7-4 Canucks victory. Sens souls are scored by Max Veronanu, Brady Dechuk, Oscar Lindbergh, and Anthony Duclair. 
Canucks goals are scored by Bo Horvat with two, Tanner Pearson with two, Jake Vertanen, Brock Besser, and Louis Erickson. Shots were 40-25 to 25 for the Vancouver Canucks. Bo Horvat scores on the power play to make it 1-0 Canucks on a deflection. Tanner Pearson scores to make it 2-0 after the puck bounced off the ice and he hit it home. Jake Vertanen scores to make it 3-0. Brock Besser scores to make it 4-0 Vancouver. Tanner Pearson gets his second of the night on a tic-tac-toe play to make it 5-0. Max Veronanu scores his first NHL goal on a deflection from Dylan DeMello to make it 5-1. Brady DeChuck scores to make it 5-2 on a bad angle. Oscar Lindbergh scores on a rebound to make it 5-3. Anthony Duclair squeaks one in on the power play to bring the game within one at 5-4. Four Horvats gets his second of the night on a redirect to make it 6-4. And Louis Erickson buries Anthony to make it 7-4 Canucks final. So I had to condense watch this game. It's because this is kind of, this is probably the only reason that sucks about living on the West Coast when they play the Canucks is that we only have like two or three cable boxes in the house. I'm not I'm the one that doesn't have one, so everybody else was using them. And because it was a local broadcast, it was blacked out on Game Center, so mm-hmm. I was unable to watch it. Yeah, I ended up watching it, and honestly, the Suns didn't even show up until halfway through the third. You know what? I was actually thinking about getting a ticket for this game, but I figured, you know what? I got too much stuff to do around here. I wouldn't even be able to get over to Vancouver. And judging from what I was looking at, it didn't look like I missed much. No, it was just kind of a bad game all around. Veronica's goal was actually quite nice. It was. But the guy I want to talk about first was Anders Nilsson. 33 saves, a .846 save percentage. To me, and this is what I judge from this game, even if the D didn't leave him out to dry, Anders Nilsson did not look good in this game at all. No. Like no, it was... That's tough to say because, honestly, from what I'm seeing, now I only saw the condensed game. I didn't watch the full thing, so I don't have that full scope. But from what I was looking at, it just looked like he wasn't really even there. The de- I mean, obviously, the defense did not help him whatsoever, no. but still. He faced a lot of high-danger shots, although one of the goals, and I'm surprised they didn't call this back, was quite odd, the second goal. Oh, was that the one where it bounced off the ice and he whacked it? Uh, it's the one where they lobbed it in and then skated. You couldn't see the puck cross the blue line, so it wasn't clear if it was onside or not. Mm, yes, okay, I do remember five. that. I don't blame him on that goal. No. Because I'm surprised that puck wasn't called out of play. That's true. Uh, you mentioned it. Max Veronanu, his first NHL goal. That was a nice goal. He was in the right spot to deflect the DeMello pass. And I'm really happy that it went in for him. Mm-hmm. And then Brady Kachuk slides in a puck from a pretty similar place pretty quickly afterwards. Mm-hmm. And, well, I guess we'll talk about Brady Kachuk. One goal and five shots. This is yet another game where he's leading in shots for the Senators, and he was able to get a goal in. Yeah, and honestly, I think he was him. He was the only center that really looked good out there. Willanen wasn't terrible. Actually, I like Veronanu. Yeah, Veronanu, from what I've actually seen of him, he does look pretty good in these games. And yet, this is another solid pickup for Pierre Dorian through the college system. I'd be very happy to see Max Veronanu on the Senators' log term. For sure. One guy you didn't mention was Dylan DeMello with three assists. Offensively, I thought he looked pretty good. I don't know about defensively, though. He was a mess. He was just getting shelled. He was in the Cody CC spot this game. Cody CC, he got injured. Did he? Yeah, he played only five minutes. That's weird. I didn't see anybody on Sense Twitter talking about it. Yeah, he left the game early. Huh. How about that? With five defensemen. Crazy. Uh, we should talk about that third period comeback. To me, anyway, it looked like Vancouver really took their foot off the gas with a mix of shaky goaltending by Jackie Markstrom and also a bunch of valid bounces going for Vancouver. For sure. Like, Duclair even getting the chance he did on the power play was due to some bad puck luck for Vancouver. Yeah, there was not much he could have done in that. He... You know, he wasn't in the right position to make it. It just happened to squeak through him. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, other than that, I don't think there's too much to say other than we already covered the Pajot hit. 
yeah, this game is one that's definitely best left for the dust pile of history. Although, man, Peterson is a treat to watch. He really is. And I know that when we were talking last week about this game and I was thinking about going over, I said, you know what? He's probably the only reason I legit would go watch the Canucks if the Sens weren't playing him. Because he's yeah. that exciting. Actually, I thought the Bo Horvat line played quite well as well. And Louis Erickson almost had his first goal in a literal eternity. Oh, he did. My bad. Yeah, he scored on the empty netter. Yeah, yeah. Louis Erickson had his first goal in an eternity. That's funny. You know what's not yeah. funny, Tim? What? Sens versus Flames. This is a 5-1 to one Flames victory. Sens goals are scored by Dylan DeMello. Flames goals are scored by Mark Giordano, Garrett Hathaway, Andrew Magnapani, Michael Backlund, and that other Dechuk, which doesn't play for the Senators. Matthew. Shots were 36-19 for the Flames. Calgary outplayed Ottawa for a majority of this game. Calgary's play on both sides of the puck was prevalent as their defense suffocated Ottawa in the offensive zone, while their offense turned it on due to the number of turnovers and lackluster play of Craig Anderson, which was the killer. Craig Anderson, 31 saves, a .861 save percentage. (laughs) This really pains me because, you know, in all the years that we've watched Craig Anderson play, this has got to be one of the worst performances I've ever seen Andy play as a center. And, well, honestly, he couldn't do much on the Mark Giordano goal, but the other ones, he didn't even move. He just stood there and let go in. And you know what? I love Craig Anderson, but that was always the one criticism of Andy I've always had, is that with goals like that, he just sort of – he stands there and just watches it go in. And you know what else isn't funny about this game? You were there. I paid 50 bucks to see it. 50 bucks, that's not bad. Yeah, but it was it was funny because you're right, and there's a lot of goals where it was, Andy was doing the chicken wings. He yeah. lost sight of it. But the flames were all over his crease, like, holy shit. And the Ottawa D couldn't clear them out. Like, this is definitely the difference between a team that could easily find its way to the Stanley Cup Finals and the worst team in the league. Mm-hmm. And I know that when you and I were messaging each other back and forth after the game, you know what? I would, I think a lot of people who actually listen to the show would be amazed to see that conversation because you and I were just kind of going at it with each other. Yeah, it was a rough game. Although uh, there are some bright spots. I actually really liked Christian Willannon's game. Willannon didn't play a bad game. Actually, one guy who... I thought looked pretty good was Eric Brandstrom. Even though he didn't record a shot in that game, he did have some really nice rushes early in that game. Well, the nice thing about Brandstrom was he was in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. DeMello's night, it started off really good. Like the declare rush was fantastic. And then it went deep. Oh my God, that rush was so nice. I was like, as soon as I watched that, my first reaction was, oh man, they're going to score on this. They're going to score on this. DeMello scored on it. It was awesome. Well, it's just one of those things that easily gets you out of your seat. And I was really happy with it. I didn't notice Valtteri Abramov, but the rest of the team also didn't show up. So I don't really expect to. You know what's really funny about um, Vitaly Abramov? And this was actually his first NHL game. Now, despite recording no shots... I thought he looked really good in this game. He motored with the puck. He got into the dirty areas to retrieve it. And overall, from how patient he looked when he had the chances with the puck, I thought he looked like a seasoned veteran. True. It was hard to notice him just because everything else was going so badly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but one guy who was not hard to notice, our good buddy, Tachaka Mania. Uh, another game where he led the Senators in shots. A number of them came in the slot. I thought he played well, almost buried a goal. But... Easily the best part of this night. He flossed with a fan, and the fan won. Oh, I'm so annoyed because I noticed that. And I was about to get a video of it to post, and then some like some jackass started standing up to fight with his girlfriend. Insta moment ruined. Well, how bad was the fight? Was it just a just a I typical couple's argument? Well, Tim, we need know. some details here, man, because listen. 
I'm one of those people that if I'm gonna if I go to a sports game or whatever, if I see a couple fight, I feel kind of shitty because I don't know what's whose side I'm gonna take in this. I need some details. I don't want to take anyone's side. I want them to fuck off, sit down, and enjoy the hockey game. I don't well, give to that's clear, that clearly is not gonna happen, Tim, because we live in a society. Apparently, we as humans do not comprehend that idea. We need to fight in public for everybody to see. I guess. Do you want to move on to the next game? The last game of this Western road trip? Oh, for sure. Actually, I do want to say about Brady to Chuck, though. Moments like that with he flossing with a fan. When we do our top five actual good things about the 2018-2019 Ottawa Senators, I am so including this. Because you know what? Brady... For all the criticism we gave him when we drafted him, this kid has really been the bright spot of this season. Oh, he comes sure. in, he's such a breath of fresh air, and he does stuff like this for the fans. And it's clearly, awesome. yeah, clearly uh, my advice to him worked because Sens versus Oilers. This is a 4-3 to three Senators overtime victory. Sens goes to score by Brady to Chuck with two, Bobby Ryan, and Brian Gibbons. Oilers goes to score by... Alex Jason, Colby Cave. Shots for 35-29 for Ottawa. A fairly even game overall. Both teams played with energy and hustle, with Edmonton playing solid D, while Ottawa got most of the scoring chances. And the winner in OT by our good buddy to Chuckamania in overtime to give them the victory. Let's talk about Brady to Chuck. Two goals on two shots. This guy played a great game. Well, he was... He was really raking muck, and uh, I really liked, I really liked uh, him and Colin White in this game. It's funny, Colin White was one of the few guys I didn't actually notice in this game, but the one guy I did notice because it was his first game back after breaking his breaking his toe was Hot Sambacho. Now Brady did. Now Thomas Shabbat had four shots in this game. This guy did not miss a step. He looked really good in this game. Mm-hmm. He grabbed the puck and he looked at the Oilers. He goes, what, you want it? Come get me. And they couldn't. That was stuff that Eric Carlson used to do with players. Yeah. And it's kind of amazing that we've got a player. We managed to find a second player like that. Craig Anderson, honestly, not great. You know, I'm going to be a little lenient here with Andy, because even though he had 26 saves with a .896 save percentage, this is yet another game where the defense left him out to dry, especially on the first two goals. And the cave goal, I can't, I don't really want to fault Andy because it went right through a screen. Fair enough, but again, sub 900, not great. True, but you know what, when you get three goals on 29 shots, though, you're going to have numbers like that. True. I don't know. like, But at the same time, two of those goals didn't involve Connor McDavid. You're not having a good game if you're letting Edmonton get secondary scoring. True. I mean, I can't believe that Alex Chason actually had a pretty good game for the Oilers. Yeah. I actually thought that Ottawa's, like, Outside of the usual suspects, uh, Borbietsky and Harper, who just got eaten alive by Dreisaitl and McDavid, I felt the Sins defense actually played pretty good. Like, I was pretty happy with uh, Shabbat, DeMello, and Willannon. Mm-hmm. The only criticism I have on defense is that unless your name was Connor McDavid, well, actually, Connor McDavid, they let those two guys run wild in this game. You're not stopping those two. No. And, honestly, and you know what, despite the relentless attack of Ottawa's third and fourth lines, who I thought played really well in this game, because they went head-on with the Oilers' defense in this game, and I was like, man, like they're showing a lot of hustle and grit, and I'm actually really happy with this line, with the third and fourth lines. Well, it's also, it just goes to show how god-awful Edmonton is when uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl aren't on the ice. Like, mm-hmm. Ottawa's just skiing circles. It was kind of fucky. It was. But, man, that overtime winner was so nice. Oh, my God, that was so good. Oh, so good. I was like, oh, I was so happy for Brady to chuck because, you know, after the advice that I gave him last week, I thought that he would put it to good use. 
and it clearly has worked out, given that he had three goals this week. Mm-hmm. That's right. Nope. You can all shower with me with praise now, everyone. It was all because of me. Now tell the Ottawa defense to let in less goals. Well, Tim, I can't do that. I'm not a miracle worker. Jesus. <laughs> I'm only one man, Tim. True, true. Yeah. But Actually, Ottawa special teams, I thought, played pretty well. They were perfect on the power on the penalty kill and the power play, scoring twice on the power play and killing off the one penalty that they had. That Bobby Ryan goal was nice, too. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. I've been really excited for Bobby Ryan this year. I thought he's been playing pretty well. Honestly, yeah. I think his hands are finally in one piece, and uh, he might play well for a few more years. Yeah, maybe he's like Chubbs from Happy Gilmore, where he just has the one fake hand now. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up the games, unless you got anything else you want to talk about. Nope. Okay. First of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find us on iTunes. Please listen, rate, and subscribe. We're on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash thirdlineplugsensecast. And because our bot Dave made the mention, we're on Google Play Music. You can find us on Twitter at thirdlineplug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at m91honeybadger and at greatwhitegipster, G-R-8-W-A-T-E, gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to shower me with praise for all the advice I've been giving Brady to Chuck last week, which resulted in the three goals, shoot me an email, thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so we've got three games on the schedule for next week. We've got Tuesday versus the Buffalo Sabres, Thursday versus the Florida Panthers, and Saturday, the final Battle of Ontario for the 2018-2019 season versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. I hope something really dumb happens. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Tim. Because this is our final Battle of Ontario for this year, we're not going to go to war. We're not going to apply ruthless aggression. We instead are going to have ourselves a Monday night sense cast. Nice. Until nice. next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go sense, guys. My time here is up. They're going home.